0: This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit redeemerkansascity.org.
1: Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, can be found on page 961 in your black-covered Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born,
0: Good morning. Happy New Year. Welcome to Redeemer. My name is Andrew. I am one of the pastors here. Congratulations. It says something about you that you showed up to church on a New Year's Day. I think the thing that probably says is that you are past partying age. Um, you didn't stay out. Um, maybe it says something else. That's not a bad thing. Hey, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to uh, talk about 1 Corinthians. So uh, will you pray with me? Uh, God, God, thank you. Thank you that your grace is sufficient, that it's enough. It was enough for us in 2022. It's going to be enough for us in 2023. And so, Lord, will you open our eyes? Will you open our hearts? If, if this gospel that we just heard read is the thing that we stand on, will, will you help us to stand on that? Uh, will you teach us what it means to bank everything that we have on the grace of Jesus for us? Um, And thank you that you're a gracious God. Um, You're you're the kind of God who, from the beginning, uh, has had a plan to make right what's gone wrong, uh, and you're still doing that. Uh, So, Lord, will you uh, teach us? Will you help us? Uh, We need you. I pray all of this in your name. Amen. Hey, because... uh, I don't know about you, uh, my last couple of weeks have felt kind of chaotic. Every single day I've woken up and wondered what day it was uh, because it's that weird liminal space when the holidays are happening and they're on the weekends and every day feels like a weekend. Uh, because we are in this kind of strange Wonderful holiday season. We're going to take a little bit of a break from the Sermon on the Mount. If you're new here, typically we pick a passage, a section of uh, the Bible, a book of the Bible. We preach through it. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to jump around a little bit uh, and just kind of help us reorient and take stock of where we are as we enter into the new year. I don't know how you're coming into the new year. This is a time when a lot of us uh, can kind of look back on everything that came before. We can look forward. Maybe you make resolutions, maybe you're not a resolution kind of person. Uh, My sons, I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And last night when we were uh, going to bed, you know, we we didn't stay up late. Uh, We watched the ball drop from 2022 at seven o'clock and said, happy new year. Um, And then I put them to bed and it was great. So I was putting them to bed and I was like, all right, guys, what, what did you love about 2022? My oldest, Owen, was like, oh, dad, we did this. We went to Colorado. I learned to read. I rode my bike. I did this. I did this. And, and they t- started talking about all the things that he wanted to do in 2023. My youngest, Beau, um, was like, dad, I don't want to talk about this. Stop talking. Please stop. Like he literally over and over again was like, dad, just stop talking. I don't want to talk about this. There's something like inside of us that approaches even as kids a new year differently. Some of you have written down resolutions. You know exactly the goals that you want to achieve in 2023. They're not just in your head or your heart. They're on paper because you're 42% more likely to achieve a goal if you write it down on paper and you're the kind of person that likes to achieve goals. Others of you are kind of just stumbling into 2023. Maybe there are things inside of your gut, inside of your heart that you want to see happen. You can't really articulate exactly what that is, uh, but, you know, it's a new beginning, there's a new uh, start, you're hopeful. Others of you uh, are really tired of resolution talk, and you made a resolution to never make resolutions again, and you're going to nail it. Um, And maybe that's for a lot of reasons. Maybe you're just tired of doing the thing that we do. Maybe 2022 was really difficult for you, and 2023 looks like it's going to be difficult also, and so you aren't really sure how to approach or step into this new year, this kind of changing of the calendar that we all feel inside of us right now, so as I was always thinking about okay how do, how, how do we hold all that together? How do we have all of those kinds of people and a bunch of other who are in between those points? How do we all come together and find something that we can stand on, that we can uh, take away from this place uh, and The answer, of course, if you uh, come to church here, is the gospel of Jesus. Because the gospel of Jesus meets every single one of us, no matter where we are, no matter where we've come from, uh, whether that was staying out way too late last night and showing up here kind of groggy and tired, whether that's uh, went to bed super early, the gospel of Jesus is the central organizing reality in all of life, whether we recognize it or not. So if you're not a Christian and you aren't sure why you're here, maybe you made a resolution to explore faith a little bit more. Um, This passage is kind of the core distillation of what Christians believe. And if you are a Christian, this core distillation, Paul says in verse 1, is the thing which you stand on. It's the organizing principle and reality that all of our life rotates around. It's the thing that we come back to over and over again as we face the future, as we make decisions, as we grieve and lament. The gospel is the foundational reality that orients everything. And in the uh, ancient world, just to clarify, what do, what do we mean when we talk about gospel? Um, that word gospel uh, literally just means announcement hey, here is an announcement of something that happened. We we have breaking news. In Paul's world 2,000 years ago, they had gospels. It's the new king is on the throne. A victory has been won. A new city is being built. Here's the gospel. Here's the news. Here's the announcement of the day, which that's important because that means that the gospel is not just a set of rules for you to follow. It is not a secret philosophy or set of values. It is an announcement of what God has done in the world to overcome our deepest problems of sin, death, and enmity with God. It's how he has come into the world to put back right what has gone wrong through his son, Jesus. The gospel is the announcement, not the possibility, the announcement that your sin is crucified, Death has died, and you can be reconciled to God. You're not a spiritual orphan. You are a part of God's family. The gospel is the news that Jesus, apart from anything that we have done or could ever do, has changed and is changing everything. And that's worth coming back to over and over and over again, especially as we step into a new year. Um, So let me give you a little bit of context about 1 Corinthians. This comes right at the end of a long letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. um, And then I'm going to give you five uh, elements of the gospel that we see in this passage. So a a little bit of context. Um, Corinth, the church in Corinth, which Paul was writing a letter to, was a mess. Um, Like a, a disgusting mess, they were uh, full of conflict. They were full of pride. There were moral messes. There were relational message. There were theological message messes. Pretty much anything that could go wrong in a church was going wrong in the church at Corinth. And so Paul, who had started this church and then left to go start other churches throughout the Mediterranean world, wrote this letter to them to correct them, to instruct them, to, to exhort them and to remind them over and over and over again of the gospel. That was Paul's entire strategy. When confronted with this mess, he says, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I determined, I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and and him crucified. So Paul's answer to the problems plaguing the church was the gospel of Jesus. Hey, remember what God has done. Remember what God is doing through Jesus Christ and then live and act like that news is real. So beginning to end, whatever issue they were facing, hey, look at Jesus, remember the gospel. Look at Jesus, remember the gospel. Act like that's true. Act like what the gospel says about who you are and who God is, is true. And in this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul just explicitly says, hey, if if you're not sure what I'm talking about, let me remind you exactly what I mean when I talk about the gospel. And he gives us um, a lot of different, Facts, elements about what the gospel is. I've boiled it down, I think, to five, five essential elements of what Paul means by the gospel in this passage. The first thing that you need to know about the gospel is that the gospel is about Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus. Look down at verse three. He says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. That He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive. Though some have died, some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James and to all of the apostles. As of all, as the one entirely born, He appeared. Also to me, do you see who the subject is all throughout this? It is Jesus. He's saying, "Let me tell you about what He has done. Let me tell you about what He is doing. How He is at work in the world. The gospel is all about Jesus." And Paul doesn't start off by using um, Jesus's proper name. He he uses Jesus's title in verse three. He says um, that Christ died for our sins. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Uh, His name is not Jesus' first name, last name Christ. Uh, Christ is a title. It's telling us something about who Jesus is. Uh, It's a Greek word that's a translation of a Hebrew word, uh, Messiah, which is talking about this chosen person, this agent that God is going to use to make the world right again. Throughout the Bible, you see this reality that life in the world is broken. Something has gone really, really wrong in the world. And we all know that, right? We, we, we all look out and we look at news, we look at social media, we experience uh, the pain, the disappointment, the dissonance inside of our hearts. And we're like, there's, there's, there's something that is not the way that it's supposed to be. Like we, we all feel that, and we all know that something or someone needs to put it right. 2024 is an election year, which means that we are one year away from an election year, which means that this year is the year that we start campaigning for everything, right? So you're going to hear all of this year people, politicians, identifying the problem of what's gone wrong in our country and in the world and telling you how they are the ones who can fix it, who can put it right. We all have this kind of expectation and this hope that someone is going to be able to get us out of the mess that we are in. And Paul is saying that that person is Jesus, Jesus is God's plan from the beginning. That's why he says that this Christ died in accordance with the scriptures. In accordance with the scriptures, he says two times. It means God's plan from the beginning has been to put the world right again through this Jesus. Who is the one who is going to make everything right? Who is the one who is going to solve our deepest problems? Well, it's, 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 it's Jesus. It's God's Messiah, And this proclamation, this gospel announcement, this breaking news that Paul talked about 2,000 years ago is not something that he thought or the church thought was bound to a certain time or a certain place. Jesus is God's answer for the problems of the world, for our problem of sin and death, for all times, in all places. And so this gospel announcement is about Jesus, the son of God, which has an implication for our lives. It means that when we talk about the gospel or when we come before God, we're not the main character. We're not the, the one that everything is hanging on. The gospel is not mainly about you. The gospel isn't even mainly about how you get fixed. Um, The the gospel, this announcement uh, as we go on, is going to tell you that everything can change through Jesus, that there is healing, that there is hope, that there is salvation in him. But the primary thing, the primary announcement is that God has done all of that work and that you don't have to. In fact, you can't. The gospel is about Jesus. And we run into trouble because um, so often we assume that we're the main point of everything. One of the biggest problems that Paul is facing in Corinth is that the people were really arrogant. He uses this word. He's saying, hey, you guys are really puffed up, uh, which like, literally means swollen or bloated with self-regard. You guys think that you are the center of everything. So everything rotates around you. Everything rotates around how you can make yourself um, look good, secure your spot, make sure that you are okay. And he says, hey, when you do that, when you operate like you are the center of everything, like everything falls apart because you weren't meant to hold everything together. You weren't meant to be the center of everything. You were meant to live in relationship with Jesus, the one who holds everything together, the one who is the point of everything. So the gospel is not a proclamation of what you must do. It is a proclamation of what God has done through Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. Number two, Paul says, the the gospel is going to tell us what kind of savior Jesus is. So the gospel is about Jesus and the gospel is about sin and substitution. Jesus in our place. Look down again at verse three. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ. So all about Jesus. What did Christ, what did this Messiah do? Well, he died for our sins. Now, we are... 2000 years after this letter was written. uh, So we don't really get how jarring that sentence would have been to the people who first read it. Because remember, a gospel proclamation, a gospel announcement is about how the king has overcome or defeated their enemies, or the king is on a throne and everyone who opposed him was cowering uh, before his feet. That's not what Paul does here. He doesn't say, hey, the, the Messiah smoked everyone and crushed everyone. He says the, the, the Messiah died. Christ, God, died. And he just didn't just die of old age. He, he was crucified on a cross. Um, the cross was not a common way that Rome would uh, execute people. In fact, it was illegal for Roman citizens to be crucified on crosses because it was so shameful. The point of of, of a cross wasn't just to execute a criminal. The point of a cross was to make an example of somebody, It was to make an example of someone who thought that they could stand up to the power of Rome, to the power of the empire and get away with it. So they would crucify people that they thought were threats uh, to expose them, to shame them, to point out publicly, hey, this person thought that they were more important than the empire and look what happens to anyone who, who tries to stand against the empire. It was shameful, it was humiliating, it was meant to expose and show the utter weakness of the person who was crucified. So just, just think about the, 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 the weird um, message that the gospel in a Roman empire would have communicated. Hey, God has come. God has done what he said he was always going to do. And how did he do it? Well, he got crushed by Rome and Rome won. P- people would have heard this as a political statement. Hey, um, God showed up on the scene and then we took care of God. Like we, we identified and we eliminated the threat and we can just move on now. But what's what's crazy is that Paul doesn't actually dwell on that reality because he sees something different going on when he looks at the cross. When he looks at the cross, he sees Christ dying for something. Not for a political agenda, but for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So uh, I know I know we don't like talking about sin. as 2023. Uh, sin seems like a outdated or fundamentalistic kind of concept um, that we're like I, I think we I think we could just get past that. Um, but we all know that something's gone wrong inside of the world. We we all know that there is something that needs to be. Put back right. We all experience relational brokenness. We experience um, disappointment or frustration inside of us. And in the Bible, the word for that thing is sin. Uh, And that sin, according to the Bible, isn't just a weakness or a deficiency or something out there. It's something that's inside of all of us. If you want to know what the problem is in the world, it's me. Like it's us, it's you. It's the fact that we have turned our back on God and tried to place ourselves at the center of absolutely everything. And and people have known this for forever. That's why you see religions popping up like in every single part of the world who are trying to make things right with the gods. Uh, They're trying to appease them. They're trying to make sure that uh, they're going to be okay. And we do this uh, like by sacrifice, right? There's something inside of us that knows when something goes wrong, like you need to do something to fix it? And what the early Christians said was that, hey, that's right. There is something broken deep down, fractured inside of us, inside of the world, it's our sin. It's our rebellion against God. No one is untouched by it. We're all carrying it around inside of our bodies and we can't do anything to make it right again. This is what our God does. Instead of asking us to figure out a way to put something right that we can't put right because we don't have it in us. He says, no, I'll, I'll do that. I will take all of sin all of evil on top of myself, I'll go to the most humiliating worst spot. Like the cross is the worst of humanity. If you wonder what it looks like to see just like the absolute worst of what people can do to each other, it's a cross. And God says, no, I'll go there and I'll take sin, I'll substitute myself and I will make a payment that people could never pay. And through that, He actually sets everything right. Christ died for sin, for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the world. And since he's God, his blood actually has the power to break the curse, break the consequences, and undo the power of sin forever. And so the fact that Jesus is our substitute he stands in our place. He takes our consequence. It means that like we can't save ourselves, and, and you know that. Like if you've been in church, you've heard that before. You, you, you can't save yourself if you're not a Christian. God doesn't want you to try to figure out a way uh, to make Him happy. He wants you to receive His grace, to believe in Him. But if you are a Christian, we still try to make ourselves right every single day. Right? We judge ourselves by our most recent performance. We feel good about who we are based on how we've treated others or how well we've done uh, at work or whether or not we have a consistent prayer life or quiet time or anything like that. Like We look to things that we do to make ourselves feel okay. Um, but, but, th- but that's backwards. You, you look at what Jesus has done. And what Jesus has done grounds everything About who you are. Listen to what uh, the author Richard Lovelace starts about this. He said Most of us start each day with our personal security resting not on the accepting love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, but on our present feelings or recent achievements. But since these things will not quiet the human conscience, we're inevitably moved either to discouragement and apathy. Or to a self righteousness, which falsifies the record to achieve a sense of peace. But the faith that is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love, instead of having to steal love and self acceptance from other sources, is actually the root of peace. Do you want to have peace in your life? Do you want to feel secure? Don't look at what you've done, look at what Jesus has done. Look at the fact that the cross is still for you, whether you've been following Jesus for five minutes or for 50 years. And the reason that that can give us peace and that can give us hope is because Paul continues going on. And the third thing he wants us to know about the gospel is that the gospel doesn't end at the cross. The gospel doesn't end with God dying. The gospel is about resurrection. Look at verse four. I'll just read verse three again. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and he was buried. Which means he was, he was really dead. He really died. And then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and then he appeared to hundreds of people. So if substitution is at the heart of the gospel. Uh, If Jesus stands in your place and bears the wrath of God for you, you actually get Jesus's life on the other end of it. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, I'll forgive you. I'll let you go figure out your, uh, your own life. I'll let you go your own way. He does something more than that. He actually takes your sin and your death and gives you his life and his righteousness. This entire chapter, all of 1 Corinthians 15, is about resurrection. It's one of the longest chapters in the New Testament, and in it, Paul is going to say, hey, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Yaroslav Pelikan, uh, a church historian who has the best name in the world, if you're pregnant and having a kid, maybe Yaroslav Pelican, whatever your last name is. That could be a fun name. Just kidding, don't do that. I don't know why I said that. Um, it's because I'm tired and state of late watching football last night. Um, Yaroslav Pelican uh, talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And he's going at this from a historical angle. Uh, and he, he basically says, hey, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. What does he mean by that? If Jesus actually died and actually walked out of a tomb three days later. If he's actually still alive, that that means you have to take what he says seriously. That means that he's found a way to overcome death, to crucify sin. That means that he has authority. That means that he has the final say about how things turn out. Not sin, not death, not brokenness, not even you. And if it didn't happen, like, why would you give a rip about anything else the Bible says? Because if Jesus isn't raised, then like we're still in this mess. That's what Paul is gonna say later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But Jesus is, in fact, raised from the dead. God is actually reigning now as king, and he will finally put away sin and death forever. The cross says that God will go to any length to break the power and effect of sin in the world, and resurrection says that God is going to have the final word in how things turn out, which means that if you are in him, your future is secure, because resurrection is for you also. If you are in Christ, resurrection life is your future, and we live in a crazy, chaotic world. I mean, it's, it's chaotic out there economically, politically. There's wars. Um, you know you know what's like out there. It's also chaotic in here, like your own personal lives. You feel a ton of uncertainty about what this next year is going to bring, whether that's with your job, whether that's relational strain that you're bearing, whether that's like uncertainty about sickness that you're carrying inside of your body. The resurrection of Jesus says that come what may, whatever you're facing, your future is secure. Because none of those things have the final word. None of those things have the final word. Because Jesus has gone into death, killed it, walked out on the other side, and all those who are in him are gonna do the same thing. And by the way, aspect number four that Paul wants you to know, that's not just the metaphor, like this is a historical reality of something that actually happened. That's why he spends more words in this passage talking about all the people that you, not you because you're dead, but the people, well, yeah, you're not dead. They're dead. Um, The people that he's writing to, this is 20 years after Jesus died. He's saying, hey, um, I'm not just giving you a new spiritual metaphor for how you can elevate your existence or how your heart can feel alive. You can actually go and talk to the people who saw Jesus die. And you can talk to the people who saw him live again three days later. He go talk to this person, go talk to that person. There are 500 people who saw him. The gospel, this announcement, is something that actually happened. It's not a spiritual metaphor that you need to dig really deep to figure out what that means for your life. No, God actually died, and God is actually alive again. N.T. Wright, who is a New Testament professor at Oxford, he's written a ton of books. He wrote a book called The Resurrection of the Son of God. It's like seven or 800 pages. It's huge. It's massive. It's thick. Um, he's uh, uh, trained as a historian. So he basically went through and was like, hey, is the resurrection of Jesus actually historically plausible? And he spends 800 pages saying, hey, like, the resurrection of Jesus is actually the most historically plausible explanation for what happened and why we have a church at all in the first place. And in fact, he'll tell this story about one of his colleagues at Oxford, um, who's not a Christian, but who read his book and say, well, I can't really argue against what you said. I just think that there has to be another explanation. Don't know what it is. I just think there has to be another explanation. We have more evidence for the actual resurrection of Jesus than almost any other historical event. The world changed after Jesus. And you have to find an explanation for why an obscure Jewish carpenter in a far-off corner of the world literally changed history changed everything so that here we are 2,000 years later trying to figure out how we're supposed to live in light of everything that changed. And that's the fifth thing that Paul wants you to know about the gospel. The gospel is about transformation and change. It changed the world and it can change you. Look at verse nine. Uh, this, this is Paul getting really, um, autobiographical. Uh, he's, he's, he's talking about, you know, how Jesus appeared to everyone who came before. And then verse nine, um, and in verse eight, he says, Oh, and by the way, he appeared also to me. Like I, I saw Jesus. I met Jesus. And what happened when I met Jesus? Well, I'm, I'm the least of the apostles. The apostles were the founders of the early church, the messengers who spread the news about Jesus. Um, And I'm unworthy, he says, to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it wasn't I, but the grace of God who is with me. The apostle Paul was a prodigy growing up. Later, uh, later in uh, other letters that he wrote, he'll tell you about all the things he did, all the things that he accomplished. He was a religious zealot uh, who thought that the church was dangerous, that the church needed to be extinguished. And so he dedicated himself and his life to doing whatever it would take uh, to stop the church. So he would, he says persecute, he would go and throw Christians in jail. He would murder people. He would approve of people murdering Christians. And then he met Jesus and his life completely changed. And, and, and he sees, he's, he's like, hey, I've, I've, I know what I've done. He's like, I'm, I'm unworthy of this grace. I don't deserve it. Like if you look at the darkest things that I've done in my life, I, I'm not deserving of this grace. But he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. It changed him. It propelled him from being a persecutor of the church to one of its uh, biggest missionaries who wrote most of the Bible, most of the New Testament, who planted churches throughout the Mediterranean world. And the gospel, God's grace, hasn't just done that for the apostle Paul. Think about someone like John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, who was a slave trader, literally in in the 1700s, he was the captain of a slave ship, got rich off of stealing and selling people. And then he met Jesus and his life was completely changed. He became a pastor and he wrote hymns and he gave himself towards the abolition of the very slave trade that he profited from. The grace of Jesus changes people. Think about what the church father Athanasius said in the 300s talking about how the gospel just a few hundred years after jesus lived changed the world athanasius said the savior is working mightily among everyone all men every day he is invisibly persuading numbers of people all over the world not just in one little spot but within and beyond the greek speaking world to accept his faith and be obedient to his teaching can anyone in the face of this still doubt that he is risen and lives, or rather that he is himself the life. Does a dead man prick the consciences of men so that they throw all the traditions of their fathers to the winds and bow down before the teaching of Christ? Jesus changed everything. Jesus literally changed the world. And he can change you too. So grab a hold of grace. Hold on to it with everything that you have if you 're not a Christian, grab onto the grace of jesus it 's for you it 's available to you and if you are a Christian, hold on to his grace every single day and maybe um, you 're frustrated when you hear this because you 've heard uh, talk of change before. And your life really doesn't look a lot different than it did uh, a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. There's still things that you're struggling with. There's are still areas in your life where you want um, to be different. The message of the gospel is, hey, keep standing in the grace of Jesus. No matter what you did last night, no matter what you'll do later today, in Christ, you are forgiven, accepted, loved, a child of God, a recipient of all the promises of God. And you do that not by achievement, but by faith. So take all the grace that you have that, that God has to give, because it won't run out. And as we go into 2023, no matter what it looks like, stand on the gospel. That's what that's what the that's the only command in this. It's like, hey, this is the thing that you stand on. So stand on it, take hold of it, believe it by faith, and then work to see the kingdom of God manifested in your life, the resurrection of G- life of Jesus, not just in the future, but coming through even right now. And you can read the rest of 1 Corinthians 15 to see what Paul has to say about that. We gather together every Sunday to rehearse the gospel of Jesus, to remember grace and to grab hold of him as much as we can. We do that through songs, worship. We do that through uh, the word and we do that by coming to the Lord's table. The Lord's table uh, is what Jesus left us. On the night that he was betrayed, he gave his disciples bread, he gave them wine and he said, hey, this is what I'm doing for you. This is my body that is going to be broken for you me in your place. This is my blood that is poured out on your behalf. This is the grace of God that's available to you right now. And we need that. We don't need, just need that once. We need that every single day. We need that every single week. And so we come to his table remembering that he has grace for us. And if you're a Christian, we wanna, I want to invite you, come take communion come, receive the grace of Jesus, remember the grace of Jesus, stand on the grace of Jesus, and go from this place in the grace of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, we're really happy that you're here. Um, don't don't take this meal. Um, instead, we have prayers in the back of your pew uh, that you can pray. You can ask God to reveal himself to you. You can ask him to maybe give you faith if you're wrestling with uh, whether or not uh, this is something that you can believe. We'll also have prayer ministers off here to the side who would love to pray for you. Um, if you are going through anything, uh, where you need prayer, uh, please come get prayer. We would love to know about that and we would love to ask God to move and act on your behalf. The way that we practice Redeemer, or communion at Redeemer is we'll have three stations up here in the front, one station up in the balcony. Uh, the station up in the balcony will be bread, wine, and juice. We'll have two bread, wine, and juice stations down the front. The stoneware is wine. The glass is juice. You can rip off a piece of the bread and dip it in either cup. I'll also have a gluten-free station off here to my left, your right. Uh, it's single serve, and you can uh, choose to take that if uh, that's what you prefer. So uh, communion is open to all who claim the grace of God for themselves who put their hope in Jesus. And so come take this meal. Um, I'm going to invite the servers, the musicians to come back up and lead us in song. I'm going to pray and then we will uh, close out today by going to the Lord's table. So uh, will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you that your grace is enough for us And uh, God, will you give us faith uh, to to believe? Will you help us to stand firm in your gospel? Uh, and and thank you, thank you that you are a God who doesn't leave us, doesn't expect us to clean ourselves up or fix ourselves before you um, will let us near to you. Like you, you, you come, you've come, and you've done all the work. So will you heal broken hearts? Uh, will you increase hope? Will you increase faith? And will you help us to live as your sons and daughters? I pray all of this in your name, amen. Come, Come forward when you're ready.